Teddy Fay stared into the smog-filtered rising sun and set his speed control to seventy-five miles per hour. The road seemed for a moment to rise into the flaming ball, then, as he crested what passed for a hill, it fell back into its proper place. He reached into the center armrest, fumbled for his Ray-Bans, and put them on. No need to drill a hole into his corneas. Teddy, who for some time had been called Billy Barnett, had done all the right things. He had identified his wife's body in the morgue, though he had winced at her injuries. The instrument of her death had been a huge SUV, driven down Rodeo Drive at an incomprehensible speed by a woman who had reportedly just finished a three-cosmo lunch with some friends. His wife's only participation had been to go shopping and to cross with the light in her favor. She had been the definition of innocence, and her killer had been the definition of murderer. Apparently, as he'd been told by police, the woman was the wife of one of Hollywood's most famous producers, who specialized in the kind of mayhem inflicted by his spouse on that sunny, sunny L.A. day. Teddy Fay had done the right thing. He had engaged an undertaker, sat through a well-attended memorial service, and scattered her ashes in the surf at Malibu Beach in front of their house, a place she had loved. He had asked Peter Barrington, for whom he worked, to be relieved of his duties on a film he was scheduled to produce, and had been told to take all the time he needed. She would be missed, he had been told, having been the heart and soul of the business side of the production company and a fixture at Centurion Studios. Teddy had then packed a couple of bags, tossed them into the rear of his new Porsche Cayenne Turbo, which had, seemingly of its own accord, found its way onto I-40 pointed east toward Oklahoma City. The car may have known the way, but Teddy had no idea where he was going. An hour after sunrise, Teddy surprised himself by feeling hungry. He had not eaten for nearly two days. He got off the interstate and found a small-town diner, he didn't know which town, and ate a big breakfast. He gassed up and got back onto I-40. He passed exits to places with familiar names, but none of them had any life for him. He spent the night in a motel and continued at dawn the next day. He was in the western outskirts of Albuquerque when he saw a sign for Santa Fe. The name resonated for Teddy, he had visited, even lived there when he had been on the run from most of the law and intelligence services in the United States. He took I-25 north. It might be a nicer place, since he had been presidentially pardoned for his many sins, more than the president knew about, but all covered. He was at 5,000 feet of elevation at Albuquerque, the same as Denver, the mile-high city and as he drove north, the landscape rose before him, until his GPS told him he was nearing 7,000 feet. He knew the name of a hotel there, the Inn of the Anasazi. He had always liked the name, and now he phoned ahead for accommodations. He noted several calls received on his iPhone, but the ringer had been off, and he didn't feel like returning them.